You're listening to season 2 of the Humans of AI Stories Not Stats podcast where Devi Parekh and Dhruv Batra talk to AI researchers to try and understand who they are as people, what their life is like, what they think about, what they're insecure about, what they get excited about, questions that reveal the stories of their day-to-day lives. In this episode, Dhruv talks to Andrew Fitzgibbon, who's a partner researcher at Microsoft. He talks about his love for formula racing and skiing. his fascination with coding and prototyping his optimistic attitude towards life and a lot more for more information on the podcast and episodes check out the humans of ai website linked in the description and without any further ado let's get right to the conversation hi drew hey andrew oh cool wow didn't need to fix audio <laughs> That's the first, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> every every uh, single meeting, the first few minutes are. <laughs> can you hear me? That's, yeah, that's kind of amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. How, how was the race? It was very exciting. It's <laughs> um, uh, the it's been uh, it's been kind of one sided for the last few years. So uh, it was interesting that there's now, uh, you know, two different um, teams competing. So. I see. I used to follow Formula One in the early two thousands, uh, like two thousand, like back when Michael Schumacher was still racing. Yep, it's, yep. it's a long time ago. I haven't yeah. kept up with the. <laughs> so today was the debut race of his son. Uh, oh Mick wow! Schumacher. Yes. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, so there we I, go. Okay. I yeah. I feel old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see. Um, what what team is he racing for? Oh, uh, Haas, which is the only American team in the race. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I caught the I caught the documentary on F one. Uh, that was on Netflix. Uh, that came. Oh out yes. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's I how I. Yeah. I haven't followed much of that, but um, I followed a few episodes. It's all too traumatic to um, to watch the stresses they're under. Yeah, <laughs> it felt a bit over dramatized, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm sure it's uh, well. I'm sure they're under a lot of stress. It's... Yeah. No, I like um, it because you know the obvious thing, right? Like you know, sort of individual human skill and large engineering team. You know, it's sort of a trade off of engineering versus uh, sort of individual ability. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, and with the interpersonal dynamics mixed in of uh, mm-hmm. two pe- mm-hmm. two people in the same team, and then uh, engine power. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So two thousand. I can't remember what the. Um, uh, oh, that's two thousand. Gosh, that's a long time ago, right? That's. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I like Rubens Barrichello used to race alongside yeah. Michael Schumacher, and they had a few controversial decisions where they asked him to hold back just so Michael could uh, pick up some more points in the. Yep. Yeah. 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 Gosh. Yeah. I didn't know you were that old, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, Andrew Fitzgibbon, welcome to Humans of AI. Thank you for doing this. Um, Delighted to be here. Thank you very much. Um, as you know, this is being recorded. Uh, I have a sequence of questions for you. Uh, some are light and may not require a lot of thinking. Uh, others may require a bit more consideration. So feel free to pause and take your time. Um, we don't have to go over every question. We can skip if you'd like. But when in doubt, if you can err on the err on the side of being open, transparent, vulnerable, we would appreciate. It. Sounds Yep, sounds fantastic. Okay, so uh, what were you doing right before this call? And I, I should note that we're talking on a Sunday, so this isn't a regular yes. day. 
Yes, so I'm afraid I had to defer the start of the call a little bit because I got the time zones right, but I didn't realize that the Formula One would start an hour later my time. So I, uh, I've just been watching the first uh, Formula One Grand Prix of the season. Yeah, uh, is Australian the first? Is that is that still the case? Uh, no, this is in Bahrain, uh, and uh, it was super exciting. Yeah, so the the hottest young talent, uh, Max Verstappen, is against the by now you know wildly elder salesman statesman Sir Lewis Hamilton, and uh, it was it went right down to the to the last lap. It was very exciting. Awesome, awesome. Uh, what is your daily routine like? Um, so, uh, yeah, just, you know, um, daily routine, wake up, make porridge for the family, uh, drop my daughter off to school, um, and, um, you know, to, to sort of collapse my whole life into a day, um, you know, there's, um, <clears throat> various types of meeting with people you know the sort of um I, I love brainstorming meetings so i might sort of have a you know a, a, a 30 minute meeting with it with a half hour you know slot at the end a kind of kind of over buff, buffer slot if we need to really one-on-one -on -one kind of nail something down and mm -hmm. um it's been really interesting doing that fully remotely uh you know i thought uh i thought i would use the whiteboard a lot we don't as much, but we do an awful lot of typing into a shared document or typing into the chat. And that's kind of cool because it's super precise, mm. you know? So the stuff I'm working on at the moment is a lot to do with programming language design compilers and so on. So you can really just sort of tap in a couple of lines of code, you know, tap it back. And it's been mm. really interesting to see that. Yeah, so daily routine is some sort of brainstorming meetings, you know, just trying to solve problems, trying to figure out, you know, project directions. Um, and then luckily I'm still in the position where I get to write some code sometimes, right? So there's, uh, you know, um, a bunch of code review and occasionally I'll, there are some things that when you're old and experienced, you can just do, it's easier to explain with a small prototype than mm -hmm. maybe with a lot of whiteboarding or something. So I might try and do sort of a, a, a quick proof of concept or, um, toy example you know and say right this this is the kind of idea you know and then and then we can discuss that so i'm really lucky to have that you know sort of highly technical part uh, of my day still fascinating what, what's just out of curiosity what language do you love prototyping in oh wow um so um i'm beginning to have opinions about python uh, style so <laughs> that's definitely a level i've passed this this year um you know i've traditionally been i i still love it when i get to do c plus mm plus -hmm. it's almost never the right choice for a quick prototype but for example um if you want to prove something about maybe why python is slow you might have to prototype a c++ implementation of the same thing and just check right is it inherently slow or is it a python thing you know um i've been doing a lot of julia recently uh, i really enjoy that that's oh. you know yeah i've been hearing more and more machine learning people talk about yeah julia. yeah no julia's really exciting um it's so funny because you know i tried to kick a matlab habit for a long long time and i guess 10 years ago, I tried to switch to Python and I really was kind of stuck with the MATLAB, but Julia was enough to, it was sort of beautiful enough that I, mm. you know, I easily, easily um, switched over. Uh, and then I've been in the last couple of years, I've been doing quite a bit of Haskell. 
which is um, which is fun. I think Haskell's kind of like the Latin of programming languages. You know, everybody kind of wishes they knew it, but no one is actually going to be bothered to do it. But uh, it, um, I'm working with some real Haskell, Haskell experts. I mean, Simon Peyton Jones, who's a sort of god of programming languages and an inventor of Haskell. Um, so that's what they use. That's what makes them most productive. So I need to learn it to catch up. Fascinating. And I, <clears throat> I take it from your answers that it's really the coding time and the and the one-on-one -on -one discussions that are some of the favorite times of your day. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all in the area of solving problems, inventing things, and the you know the way to solve problems is to understand deep, deep, deep down what's going on. And you know, I find those tools. Uh, discussing with others and actually trying to write prototypes, the best way to understand. Fair enough. What, what's the least favorite part of your day? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, least favorite. Oh, you know. Um, uh, you know, you make sort of silly mistakes sometimes. Um, you know, you might, um, uh, you know, anytime you have to choose between <laughs> things that two different people want. You know, person A wants wants A, person B wants B, and if you're going to choose between them, um, you know, there's always the worry that you're going to do it wrong. And of course, if you do get it wrong, and you hope to do that as little as possible, uh, that's that's not a great day, right? When you think, mm, I really should, you know, person B was right, I should have followed them, but based on the evidence I had at the time, I thought person A was the person to follow. Um, you know, uh, and and a, a follow up question to that: Do you find yourself falling susceptible to the middle ground fallacy that the truth must always be lie somewhere in the middle anytime there is a conflict? That's really interesting. So um, I really don't like the phrase, let's agree to disagree. Mm. All right? I absolutely want to find a kind of an axiomatic point of difference, right? You know, so the point of difference might simply be, um, you know, someone might say, I believe we really need to uh, make our languages work well for graph neural networks. And person A might say, yes, graph neural networks will be the future, or no, they won't. And, you know, you really try and sort of paint out the future or, or I mean, to take a less sort of concrete example, um, I love all the discussions about driverless cars where, you know, we all explain to each other slowly and carefully how it's definitely not going to be possible for two years, five years, seven years. You know, we all have positions on that. And it's really fun to try and just tease out, you know, what are the axiomatics uh, under that? And what, what, what historical lessons can we use to make our decisions or to... to uh, I don't know if that quite answers the question, but it must be, it, seems, it seems related. Yeah, um, but I, I think that that covered it enough. Um, do you set an alarm in the morning? No. Um, I have a 10-year-old daughter, and she, you know, never fails to wake at, uh, well, she wakes at 6.30, and she, you know, comes and collects us at 7 o'clock or 7.30 or whatever she decides, so I haven't set an alarm for a long, long time. I, I like the I like the verb description there, that she comes and collects the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, there's porridge to make or whatever, you know, there's, you know, there's stuff to be done, so that, that you need adults for. 
then uh, does it does the does the common household phenomena happen in reverse where she'll come and try to wake you up and you last for 10 more minutes and then yeah. 10 more minutes? <laughs> it literally does um i only get away with three more minutes three is considered acceptable um, I see. but you know maybe i might stretch it to five sometimes but yeah i i wouldn't i wouldn't risk stretching it to seven you know <laughs> are you uh, are you a planner or do you operate more on just gut feeling and going to the floor Oh, wow. Um, I think it's almost a cliche around, around, you know, my teams that there, there is a plan, but it's in Andrew's head and it doesn't get, it doesn't get put out. It, um, I'm very much into um, uh, contingent plans or conditional plans, right? So, um, in fact, I guess one of the things I'm proudest of is that someone wrote a book, Bill Buxton, a user interface designer, wrote a book. And as one of his chapter heading quotes, he used a quote of mine, which is sadly inaccurate, but it's kind of right, which is um, uh, the concept that making a plan and sticking to it guarantees a suboptimal solution, hmm. right? Because you're just using the information you had at the point of time that you made a plan. Hmm. And um, so it doesn't guarantee, because of course you could have been right, but it's yeah. pretty much guarantees you know, it's in, a bound on-, on Especially in, in, in a dynamic world. Exactly, which hopefully you're in, right? Because if you weren't, it wasn't you weren't doing interesting stuff. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of quotes about plans. You know, um, what is it? <clears throat> uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Um, yeah, etc., yeah, uh, no, etc. No, et yeah. no battle plan survives contact with the enemy, and uh, plans are useless, but planning is essential. Exactly. So that last one. So um, you really have to have an idea, yeah, which is, you know, what's going to happen. But it, it's also, um, a few years ago, we did a proper plan. So we, uh, we were doing, uh, we, we were doing 3D modeling and we were uh, doing hand tracking for the HoloLens. So we had, you know, a small CPU, a tiny CPU, like um, an Apple Watch size CPU. Uh, and we had some code and we knew that was probably the code that was going to work, but it was a thousand times too slow. And we then, I remember we called it the 39 steps. It was a beautiful, uh, I think it was John Taylor, Tom Cashman, a few other people in my office on a whiteboard. And we wrote down all the code that we hoped we didn't have to write to make this work, you know? So there's like, and then each of those, things that we thought we might they were we called it 39 steps right there were just stuff like um you know do we need to implement a Cholesky factorization that understands the sparseness in the bottom 16 by 16 of the matrix because it's like such a hassle but it was going to be a 50 percent speed increase maybe but was it going to was it going to matter um and then every column was uh sort of p0 p1 p2 so it was um we we we're almost certainly going to have to do this we're probably going to have to do this and we really hope we don't have to do this um and you know it's just a, it was just an amazing matrix and then we added it all up and it was like you know holy smokes there's 25 person years of work here um you know it was uh that was after we multiplied by 10 um you know our estimates um and i haven't gone back but we weren't far off and you know sort of three years later or or four years later the thing got released and you know um it, Yes. Yeah, so what's the answer there? So the answer is planning is such fun. And um, I guess what I'm terrible at, what I'm really bad at is scheduling. 
mm. not planning, deciding who should do what when. I'm terrible at that. I'm always like, okay, well, what's the next thing we need to do? Yeah. In, including yourself, you find yourself difficult to schedule according to the plan that you Yeah, just I, I don't properly, you know, I mean, you know, it's interesting as well when you're doing, if you've got a product release, um, you know, that's fine. You kind of pick a date and especially with HoloLens, there's hardware as well. So, um, you know, it's all very, some, some people who really, really are scheduling are working over there and you have to fit in with them. So, you know, you just make that work. Um, and, you know, as, as any computer vision person will know when there's a paper deadline, magically stuff gets done by the paper deadline. Um, but sometimes we're in a mode where it's almost like journal paper mode. Right, so it's a bit, bit like it's not it's not going to go in the product until it's proved, mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> that really is just deliver it when it's done. I find that really hard to to, you know, because what I want to do is I'm also super keen that I don't believe in eighty hour weeks, right? You know, I I really believe in you know you work um, at a rate that you can sustain, you know, as long and and you love it, um, so. It is interesting to try to plan those sort of no deadline uh, situations, and I think it's it's no secret that I'm not very good at it. But luckily, I've got people around me who who are better at it. Are you competitive, Andrew? Uh, yes, pretty much. Um, uh, I've become a pretty good loser, uh, <laughs> um, but. Um, yeah, I, I go karting is something where I'll really just you know get race face on, and I do it only once a year. It's not like I do it all the time, but you know it's absolutely sort of you know total <laughs> focus. Um, uh, ski racing, I love. It's just you know again absolutely mind emptied of any other concept other than you know get through the gates and. Um, and this is why I keep pausing about the question because it's not, I don't particularly care about beating the other people, but I like passing a benchmark. And if there are other people against whom I can benchmark, then of course I much prefer to be, you know, yep. past the benchmark and in first place than, um, than behind. But um, yeah, there's, there's this distinction. I don't know if I'm using the right terms, but between uh, active competitions and races right like but you it's not zero sum other people's losses don't hurt you don't uh, help you directly but them setting a faster time gives you something to shoot for so yeah As interesting common. so you mean you mean like sort of strava style like not competition but competition or no i actually mean like uh like in a in a race you don't actually get to interfere with any other person on the track so it's not like their losses uh, are directly your I see, win I see. it's, it's yeah. not zero sum in that nature um in fact their uh somebody else or a competitor setting a better time just uh, sets a higher benchmark for you so it's yeah indeed and if two competitors accidentally paced you you know, if one went too fast early on and then one went too slow early or whatever, then then that might um, be helpful. Yeah. Um, that's funny, actually, because we were talking about Formula One earlier. Um, and I, you know, before this exciting race, I was thinking, oh, Formula One's getting really boring. And recently I watched the America's Cup yachting, which now is exactly the same. Amazing engineering, like beautiful engineering. And again, you know, sports people now in little teams. Um, 
but there there's a funny factor because every race is just one on one it's mm. just two boats in every race and they absolutely it's absolutely understood that you need to beat the other team not mm. race your own race i mean sometimes you race your own race but there's, there's and i guess that's super competitive that's, mm. Is there a rejection or a failure that hurt particularly bad? Oh, blimey. Um, that's, yeah, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> that's funny. So there, it's, you know, I haven't actually, I hadn't um, looked at the questions before. I kept saying, I'll look at the questions. No, I'll, no, I'll wing it. No, I'll look at the questions. No, I'll wing it. You know, and eventually I didn't look at the questions. So that's brilliant. I'm, gl I'm glad it's fresh. So two things jumped to mind. One was um, a job interview at Oxford for a, um, I guess you would call it a professorship or lectureship, you know, a, a, essentially a permanent job, right? You know, the way it works in Oxford, you get the job and you're there until you're 95 or, you know, you, you know, um, and um, that was interesting. It was in a computer science department. And, you know, I'm sure there were many reasons I didn't get it. Um, but I just remember being asked something like, what's your favorite data structure? And, uh, and you know, yeah, 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 or maybe tell me about it. Yeah, I think it was what's your favorite data structure. I think that's a totally fair question, by the way. I, I, I have no objection to that question. I think it's sense. I, I used to ask people what's your favorite algorithm, but then people said it was like a hard question, or maybe it was anyway. Uh, they asked me what's your favorite um, data structure, and I was thinking I should say graph. Right, graph is the obvious thing to say, but I didn't. I said matrix vector. You know, I didn't even say tensor because I find it a bit ponzi. Um, um, and uh, meaning, you know, pretending to be posh. Um, and I said matrix vector, and it was just, you know, you know, I could just see the whole thing tumbling, <laughs> tumbling away as I fumbled this answer. And you know, later I went back and said drat. Um, so. That hurt, but then that reminds me that, you know, lots of people I know apply for jobs, particularly in academia or grants, right, um, where you don't get it. And I do find it reassuring to think that's because somebody better got it. Somebody better suited for that job at that time or that thing at that time got it. And that's, yeah, in a sense, the, uh, the zero sumness of it is, is kind of helpful there. It's like, okay, so somebody else got that. I'll do something else. Um, I don't feel too rejected in a sense. I may feel I've made a mistake and I feel, maybe feel I, I helped them to make the wrong decision, but maybe I was wrong. You know, maybe the other, and the other person was great. Um, and then the other, I, I, I said there were two answers or two times where rejection hurt. Um, there is one paper, I won't tell you what it is, um, you know, where, where we got a poster and the same thing got an oral. <laughs> that's, that's still like sort of, you know, still just kind of slightly rankles. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, but it, it was just funny. Um, but we've been lucky, right? We had a paper that didn't get a poster, it got properly rejected. And that was great because when we rewrote it, it was much, much better. So, you know, um, I don't want to go on about paper rejections, but I just, as, as you mentioned it, there is one that I still remember. It's, it's an interesting facet of uh, just academic life that over perhaps even a substantial career, it, it, these things can still continue to pinch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah.
And it's just that's what came into my mind when you said rejections. So. Yeah. Um, and the converse, uh, is there an achievement that felt particularly good? Oh, gosh. Um, I, it's kind of like, now that I think about it, it's a no-brainer, and it kind of isn't, isn't an achievement. It was, um, it was when I got my fellowship at Oxford, I got a, a five-year kind of do-what-you-like uh, Royal Society University Research Fellowship, 1999, I think. And, you know, Andrew Zissman had helped me with the application and we put it in and, you know, some, you know, um, tremendous people wrote in support of me, you know, that I was, I was kind of amazed would. Um, but that arrived and that was really, I, I think, you know, that was pretty high level of elation. Um, um, you know, if you look at my CV, you won't see that particularly celebrated anywhere, right? You'll see, you know, prizes and stuff, but um, that was that was pretty amazing. Yeah, and I, I imagine the the early wins and the early happiness moments uh, linger on and have uh, disproportionate impact because they 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 had a high marginal value at that time. Yes, I'll tell you what's been pretty exciting recently. I um I had my first paper in PLDI. Uh, programming languages design and mm -hmm. implementation and i was as giddy as a phd student with their first paper you know it's like you know because i've been kind of you know sh shifting away i mean i've always had interest in compilers and stuff um and that was pretty exciting that was like okay maybe i am able to do this other thing you know that's awesome um, how do you usually make difficult decisions? Uh, are there certain lines of thinking, so frameworks that you approach problems by? Interesting. Um, I, I often say I think really slowly. Like I, don't, I often need need to say, okay, that's going to be all weekend, and and this is something that I would do at the weekend, right? You know, I, I, as I said earlier, I do like to separate um, uh, work and and non work life, um, but I do like to just let things settle for a while. So that's strategy one is wait, right? And that's all, not always available. Sometimes a difficult decision needs to be made in a hurry, or whatever problem you're trying to solve will get worse. Um, so first of all, wait. Um, and then second of all, just, um, so I'm really bad at chess because I kind of, uh, think forward the move I want to make. And then I'm supposed to think about all these other lines of, of attack and I can't be bothered. Cause like there's this one that I really like. So, and I keep going back to that one instead of doing the other ones that I should be doing. So I do try and force myself to play forward the, the different rollouts and try to say, right, if this happens, then this happens, then this happens, right. Stop thinking about that. Now say if, if I didn't take step a, you know, um, so kind of formalize the tree search, I think is, is I need to do that. Otherwise I'll just keep thinking of the thing that hopefully will work and that's no good. Do you have an internal monologue? Do you talk to yourself? Um, it's funny, I was I was sort of walking somewhere the other day and I was remembering that when I was younger, I definitely, uh, and I know this is terrible, I shouldn't admit this, but you know, uh, I was thinking there are people who narrate their lives in their heads as if, you know, as if, you know, you know, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the 50 year old man loped, you know, easily down, <laughs> down the street, you know, 
<laughs> and then I was thinking, I was, I was thinking, I'm glad I haven't done that for a while. Although clearly I was doing that at the point when I, <laughs> but I was, I was remembering when I was younger, there was, there was a lot of that. I think that's what you might mean. Um, uh, well, so there's the third person narration, but there's also just uh, thinking through language or just thinking through sentences. Yes. I, so when I'm writing a paper, I, um, I still like to try to do it all in one sitting, mm. right? I'm no longer like literally the night before, but um, I, I, re I really, I like the idea that I'm going to start at, the, you know, this is totally the wrong thing to do. And by the way, I don't do this for theory sections. So when I'm writing a paper, I write down equation one, equation two, equation three. Those are like really important. They have to be right. They have to be just, you know, the right level of granularity. Um, and I write explicatory bits and pieces, but the the kind of the whole intro and the whole, you know, quite a lot of the text, I just play forward in my mind for weeks beforehand, you mm -hmm. know, sort of playing, and those are real sentences, right? And I think those sentences are part of a thought process. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly they're intended to go down on the page, so they're different from sentence sentences. Um, and then, yeah, if I'm trying to solve like a, a vision problem, um, I think it is probably more geometry. I mean, obviously I've worked in geometry a lot, so that, that fits naturally. Um, hmm. I also, I, I think in code quite a lot. I think people would joke that, you know, I sometimes speak in code. <laughs> I mean, like computer code, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I definitely think what is the execution sequence that will achieve, Interesting. you know, what's going to happen in the computer. Um, and you find that you can move bits and pieces of code around and like uh, you can you can do that in a functional abstract manner. I, I think so. I, I think I, I think I um, I think probably that's the thing that I'm, you know, sort of weirdly best at is understanding how computers work. You know, that's that's like I, I, I have a real feel for what the computer is doing, you know, um, and so it, so I said code, but the code isn't really there, but it's just kind of the the the, 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 you know, the evolution of the data structures over time, let's say, um, or, or uh, yeah. And uh, you already alluded to this, but it sounds like you do a lot of visual thinking as well. You have pictures in your mind and geometry and like you're able to, is that, I, a, I is that a common framework? So. Yeah, I think so. I still, I still, um, I remember when I was, when I was working with AZ, with Andrew Zissiman, um, he's like totally pictures in mind and there's a fantastic tool we have, which is called mathematics and algebra and symbolic mathematics, where I just remember thinking, okay, well, I can't think it through. I'm going to have to just do a derivation and that's on paper and it has to be on paper. And I could never understand how Stephen Hawking could do that in his head. Um, so I don't want to say that um, symbolic mathematics is a second class citizen, because I think it's too often said, oh, you can't make any progress unless you can visualize it. I mean, we have fantastic tools for helping us think through things too big for our brains and uh, and code is even better right mathematics has the disadvantage that it's uh ambiguous poorly specified means different things to different people you know it's a terrible tool mathematics um whereas i'm sure mathematicians would disagree that i know it's ambiguous, i know it's a yeah, terrible yeah. well um 
look at equation one of, you know, 100 computer vision papers, it's often wrong, right? Even in accepted papers. Now, what do I mean by wrong? I just mean, oh, this variable on the left-hand side wasn't, you know, used on the right-hand side, or this, you know, the, these terms on the right-hand side are not defined anywhere above here in the in the document, right? There's no, you know, it's just, but hey, we all know what we mean, you know, let a mark off random field B or whatever. Um, so, whereas if you do that to a computer, it'll say, yeah, sorry, I don't know what I is. And you'll say, stupid computer, it's an integer, right? That I'm using to, it's like, thanks, okay, thanks. I understand you now, you know, calm down, says the computer. Just, I just wanted to know what it was. And uh, th that's what I mean. I love it that code is utterly unambiguous. You know, it, it's unambiguous in the sense that it does the thing that it says it was going to do. Um, and uh, so toy examples, as I mentioned earlier, um, a, a key part of how I think about things, I'm trying to think of a good toy example sometimes a geometric um, question. Um, and what do you tend to think about when you're not actively trying to think about something? What goes on oh. at the back? Um, <laughs> probably skiing, uh, you know. Um, um, I do a lot of stupid puns. Um, you know, there's a lot of stupid wordplay that goes on um, in my head. I'd say that's the default cogs turning noise. Um, uh, want to give us an example? Uh, I, I and I don't and I you know I forget them. So um, I you know if I think of one <laughs> if I think of one later. Um, Sure. Anytime during yeah. this conversation, feel free to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, because I've got some, you know, that I'm really proud of. Um, yeah, I could look at my, I have a WhatsApp with three or four like-minded friends where, where we share them. So I could possibly look at that later. It's got to be the world's most glorious WhatsApp thread ever, <laughs> which is puns going back and forth. <laughs> terrible, terrible puns, typically. But, but to an audience that appreciates it. <laughs> so. Yes, indeed. Yeah. How do you recharge or take a break? Um, I'm I'm quite good at watching TV. Uh, you know, I will watch TV. You know, quite happily for three hours of an evening, and um, I'll watch. You know, kind of whatever. I've I've I used to watch more sci-fi now. Uh, I'm just bored with. Um, Deus Ex Machina, you know, inconsistent worlds. Um, um, uh, I I do like things that kind of change change how we look at narrative. Um, so you know, Westworld, which is kind of what if there were perfect VR, is really interesting. Um, you know, because the whole question about morality inside and outside. Um, you know. Um, same question is snow crash you know you know how do you how do you damage somebody or kill somebody at the other end of a of a of a you know information link um um and and, and sorry I, I mean i watch a lot of tv but books that play with these ideas are are always interesting um uh, what do we don't watch recently um i like uh, do you have Call My Agent over there? I guess everyone has it now. It's a French uh, TV series about theater um, agents. Might yeah, be. yeah, that's uh, there's, so. There's no no playing around with narrative there. It's just fun. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, are you happy with the number of close friends you have? 
are you happy with the number of close friends you have? So the way I would, here's a problem solving. So I would ask myself, uh, this is a very common thing you hear from me in a meeting. So do I want more close friends or do I want fewer is how I try to answer that question, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what would I do with fewer close friends? Uh, no, I think I definitely don't want fewer close friends, I think. Um, and do I want more? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, um, those those of us who have had children, it's a sort of key point in life when a new set of friends come in, typically, mm -hmm. because there's some, you know, it, at least in Britain, and I'm sure in most countries, there are social arrangements so that you meet all the other new parents and the school parents. And that's really kind of interesting because you get new, very close friends um, there. Um, and I, I guess maybe many of my close friends would say, yes, well, you know, if he, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't devote huge amounts of effort to, you know, um, keeping in touch with people. So you'll, you know, my friends will, longtime friends will receive a random two-line email uh, after three years. And, you know, I still call that person a close friend. And then we'll have a, you know, sputter of discussion, which will be great fun. And then we'll get it back in touch again in two or three years. That seems to me worth keeping. What are you insecure about? Um uh i still say stupid stuff all the time i'm just not that good at um kind of you know toning down a sort of general ebullience and excitement and you know so i'm sorry and this is of course me trying to put a positive spin on it but um i i just you know um if i want to make a point i might make it way too strongly and then everyone's like okay i get your point but I'm scared. I don't like it. You know, so um, that's something that I really thought with age I would get better at, but not really. <laughs> uh, do you think you're average, above average, or below average happy compared to people around you? Uh, I think I'm probably high above average. Um, I, I, I think that I'm kind of. Um, you know, during during COVID lockdown, I, I remember I was saying in some meeting, I hate to be that guy, but look at all the positives. <laughs> I am that guy. You know, the, look okay. at all the <laughs> Yeah, I think that that decisively answers that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, Devi was pretty happy uh, with the work from home arrangement. Like she just likes being comfortable in 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 the home and not having to deal with the commute and the, and the you know the temperature yeah so <laughs> you have at least a, a fellow compatriot yeah but also i mean there were positives right i mean the fact that um so uh so it's sunday today so last night we had a um you know oea get together with a bunch of um people from all over this time zone and you know it, we may as well all have been together um I love it in work meetings that everyone is the same size, you know, mm. that all the videos are exactly the same size, that I can see everybody the same. There's no one at the back of the room, the front of the room. Mm. Um, I love the, uh, and th therefore I love all remote meetings because anyone who is remote is completely present in the same way. So, you know, I work in England for Microsoft based in Redmond, you know, in, in your time zone. Mm. Um, and you know previously 
we would be like these sort of disembodied voices coming out from behind the slides. I don't know if you remember, but you know, when you're on a Zoom or Teams call, um, often the slides are occupying the full screen in the meeting room, so you're completely disembodied. Um, I think that um, equalization has just been fantastic for remote workers, of which we have always been one, being a satellite of, of, a, of another organization. Mm. Um, I think it'll be interesting. Um, I haven't yet sparked up any really substantial outside of Microsoft collaborations of that form, mm. but um, I just think the more we stay all remote for most meetings, I think the more we will, you know, um, reduce travel, get more ideas from more places. Um, I, I think there are a bunch of positives coming from there. And and uh, if you had to make a prediction about the future, do you think that equality will survive? I don't know. I think, you know, um, uh, my prediction is, you know, we all say, oh, yeah, I'll work like two days from home and three days in the office. And I think what will happen is uh, either we'll go in one day and never come out, you know, just you know, I'll go in one Monday and I'll just come out on Friday or um, and it'll be completely back to normal. Um, I think I will, even in the office, I think this is clear in my mind. I think we will have daily stand-ups, one-on-ones, a lot of meetings. I think we'll still do all remote from adjacent, um, you know, desks or um, offices. Why? Because uh, number one, equality of, of the people. Um, everyone has a keyboard and monitor. This means that if we have a meeting of five of us, and I kind of need you there for your expertise or because I might need to ask you a question. I'm perfectly happy to have you there, like, you know, just low level monitoring the meeting, you know, maybe, um, but you're still getting useful work done. Um, it means you can quickly fl flip the meeting to something like a debugging session, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so, oh, you know, chat, 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 oh, I'm having this problem, um, you know. <laughs> Uh, my PyTorch versions are interacting badly. Um, you know, you can just quickly screen share and say, all right, this is what I've done. And I, I just think that's going to remain valuable. I think I think the old meetings where someone jumps up and does the whiteboard causes a lot of phase out from the people who aren't actively doing the whiteboarding. Hmm. So I, I, I think I, I can't make a prediction about where my atoms will be at home or in the office, but I am going to make the prediction that there will still be a lot of these all virtual meetings. Fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll find out in hopefully in some time. Yeah. Um, what is something surprising about you? Something that the rest of us may not guess? Oh, um, uh, yeah, you all know I'm a ski fanatic. Um, um, my, grandmother, my grandmother was a movie star. Um, oh. that's, uh, in the forties. Um, so, you know, um, she played with, uh, Rock Hudson and James Mason and Stuart Granger and these people, you notice that actresses in the forties are named by the men they played with. So this is, you know, uh, an accident of the time, but, yeah. um, uh, what, what kinds of movies was she in? Um, uh, um, I think there was pretty standard career trajectory then, you know, of like, you know, you work on the stage, she was in, in Dublin, you know, I'm from Ireland, um, and you kind of do just do the running style of movies. So, um, there's one about Christopher Columbus. There was one about, um, Captain Boycott, the Irish landowner who gives us the term boycott, 
Um, yeah. And then I there was some really. There you go. Um, uh, and there was some really interesting ones. There was one called Odd Man Out, which is a you know movie people will know it, um, which is about um, the IRA, the you know sort of the nineteen forties um, sort of you know um, civil war in Northern Ireland, and that's an interesting portrayal. And she's also in one of the few. I quite like a really dark, sad movie. You know, I'm kind of keen on that. But she's in one that's so dark and sad that I've never been able to see to the end of it, which is by Edgar Dimitrik, one of the early um, uh, McCarthy sufferers. You know, and that is just dismal life in New York in the Depression. Um, so a range, a range of stuff. And what is something about the world that surprises you? Um, it's interesting how how bad we are. I'm going to say it making predictions with sort of high confidence. Um, so Here's my theory about what's going to happen climate-wise over the next uh, 50 years. Yeah, um, there's going to be a single sort of soliton-like event, right? So something bad will happen. You know, Greenland will start to shift, and then the whole thing will slip off, right? And then, you know, almost COVID-style, there will be a, a, a massive turnaround of, of human um, activity. And, you know, humans will sort themselves out somehow, right? Um, we have such high confidence when we say, oh, you know, humans can't, you know, you, you can't expect humans to change, you know, I don't know, live underground or whatever it is, uh, you know, move all their houses away in two generations. And yet um, I have something now which I call the best graph. Um, I, you know, you can find it later and insert it. Um, this is Hans Rosling. It's from Hans Rosling, but, you know, it's an easy graph to find. Um, human fertility rate over the last five, over the last hundred years dropped from five to two. Okay. So humans yeah. have two and a half times fewer children now than they did a hundred years ago. Now, obviously there's a bunch of other stuff, right? So child mortality dropped. So there's mm -hmm. like reason to, but that bare number and that's worldwide, right? That's sort of ignoring the, the you know, that's mixing um, uh, richer, poor developed, um, that fundamental claim, humans could drop their fertility, right? You know, something fundamental about them by 2.5x and it's i mean the 2.5x the 2x reduction the, you know the quickest 2x reduction is probably over 20 30 years um in the from the 40s to the 70s so i think humans are just in, you know remarkably malleable changeable and we don't give the humans credit for that you know um so yeah Clearly, if all humans decided to further reduce their um, reproduction rate, you know, the planet would be in great shape. Um, the humans wouldn't be for a while, but the planet would be. <laughs> the humans are remarkably malleable, yet remarkably unaware of their own malleability. Yes, and remarkably confident that the one thing you can't do is change human nature, you know, so, so an ambitious, you sometimes see somebody saying, here's my ambitious plan to reduce air travel. Right. And I think that if you follow my ambitious plan, you'll reduce air travel by 15% over the next 10 years. Right. And to me, that's not an ambitious plan. Right. That's nothing. Right. An ambitious plan is 5x 
over the next 10 years. Right? You know, what does that plan look like? I don't know. Right? It's got to be something to do with video conferencing. Um, but whatever that plan is. And so we say ambitious and then we say tiny numbers. And again, I think we're we're just forgetting how malleable humans can be. Um, what do you strongly suspect but have no proof of? Like what are Ooh. your what are your conspiracy theories? Oh, cool. Um, I don't care whether P equals NP. Um, <laughs> because I'm really, really, um, really interested in what happens in practice. And uh, therefore, I, I know this isn't quite the answer, but it's sort of related, you know, because I strongly suspect uh, P is in NP, but not in any, in uh, sorry, I strongly suspect P not equal to NP, yeah. but not in any interesting way. Right. What I'm much more interested in is, can I solve a million variable mixed integer program? Well, we know we can if the million variables are arranged a thousand by a thousand in an image. And, you know, because, you know, we did that uh, 10 years ago in computer vision or 20 years ago in computer vision. Um, I, I see I see integer programming problems now where 10,000 variables is way too many. Mm. You know, they take forever. So uh, anyway, so that's um, that's something I strongly suspect, but I don't care about. Um, I strongly suspect anything else. Um, yeah, we'll see. Okay. What is something you've changed your mind about recently or in distant past? Oh, that's easy. Um, I used to believe that what you're supposed to do is write down the optimization problem, find the best minimum you can, ideally the global minimum, or you know, as fast mm -hmm. as you can. Mm -hmm. Right. And then if you don't like the answer, change the optimization problem. Okay. Right. You know, so add, add, change your regularizer to L1 or change your uh, an L1 plus an L2. Right. What you don't do, I used to believe, is think, oh, I'll just uh, I'll just give the gradient a little trim over here and over here because it's getting a bit hairy. And um, I'll. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll uh, just you know divide all the weights by point you know one point oh oh four every time except for those really big ones which I'll divide by seventeen. Uh, so you know, and, and, um, and you imagine whoever is doing this to also have that particular accent. <laughs> that <you just> yeah. <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah, and the hand movement and the little sort of Swedish chef kind of uh, you know yeah. kind of actions. Um, and that the reason is that then you see. Because I've got myself into the safe place, right? To find your optimization problem, find the optimum as fast as you can. Um, and obviously, the reason is it's much easier to think about that, right? You could just use the geometry of the minimum as the thing to think about, and you don't need to, it's, it's easy on the brain. So we know now that, of course, you should use SGD, you know, when you've got roughly IID or when you can roughly IID IZ, or you're, you know, when you've got a sum of thingies, you should probably use um, some sort of SGD. Um, we know now that what actually matters overall is, you know, what results you can reliably achieve in what amount of time. And, you know, highfalutin um, principles like define the problem and then solve it don't actually match reality. And, you know, I still, you know, I still much prefer to add lambda w squared to the objective than to, you know, have weight a line saying weight decay, you yeah. know, um, um, I guess, you know, I don't really have a good 
idea for what I mean by dropout, you know, uh, how, I, how I do that in a principled way. So, so that's, I've, I've given up that high mindedness and now I mix it in with a bit of, you know, gradient trimming. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, and I have to agree, I've, I've gone through that journey myself. Uh, there's actually an interesting uh, philosophical parallel to this. Like I, like I've, I find myself um, being particularly utilitarian at times and saying that, I, so the, the philosophy that I ascribe to is if someone finds a strategy that you do not like, you do not blame the person, you blame the game. If the game allows for a, for a cheating strategy, then the person who finds it is not at fault. The game is at fault because clearly your objective is allowing for it. So you go back and you change your objective. Um, but you know what, what the history of machine learning and like SGD is now teaching us, well, it seems like how we go about solving these problems is an easier handle on these rather than first fixing all objective functions so that then we can, we can make a claim about the, the minimum. Yes, it's interesting because it's interesting the use of the word easier there, because of course it's kind of easy to think about the, it's like curing symptoms rather than curing the disease, you know, like trimming the gradient, you know, adding weight decay, these things, they're easy to think about, but they're not easy to play forward. So it's harder to kind of predict, you know, um, what's happening, to describe what's happening. Um, but yeah, but they're easier to think about. It's like um, one of my current bugbears is uh, is discount and reinforcement learning. Uh, you know, it's like gam. No, no, no. Gamma is one is the problem I actually want to solve. Right? I want to solve. You know, my undiscounted fixed horizon. You know, I want everything to be right. And this crazy discount is if you know. And people say, oh, it's there to manage uncertainty about the future. It's like, yeah, we have probability distributions. You know, we know how to manage uncertainty about the future. You know, but but I know that. I kind of suspect that the same thing is true here that you know it's just things work better that way um and but i don't want to fall into the gap or the, the trap of things work better that way so never don't you know don't question the status quo right um uh, yeah ultimately wherever we converge somebody has got to do the hard work of realizing that weight decay is just the same as negative lambda uh, and then norm square. Like somebody's going to make that equivalence and then we'll be happy. Yeah, probably, but maybe not. Maybe the world would never have been better if people made that equivalence. Maybe, you know, maybe it would have been fine to just proceed with weight decay. And, uh, to, but no, I, I mean, I totally, I, I, you know, I think we're, I think we're very aligned on this, right? You know, it's easier to write down what you want to happen rather than how it's going to happen. But we've had to, we've had to include both. Um, how do you imagine your retirement? Oh, I see. Well, that's that's quite easy. I'll just be a ski bum. Um, <laughs> so um, you know, I will. Um, yeah. So um, uh, I'm 52. My daughter is 10. So when I'm 60, she'll be 18. Um, and uh, you know, that seems like a reasonable point to consider. You know, moving to a mountain hut or whatever it is. And um, um, obviously, I, you know. I think most academics, thinkers, technical people, whatever we are, um, I def, you know, my my retirement will definitely have a lot of programming in it or building objects of of whatever form. You know, I don't think, 
I, I've learned a bit about gardening. I don't think gardening is in is is that object that I would build. I think it would probably be something. Um, yeah, there's lots of mathematics or. You know, maybe it'll be uh, reinforcement learning with gamma equals one. <laughs> so so uh, it's beginning to sound uh, like a lot of the same. It might be a lot of the same, but, you know, it'll be a lot of the same, but um, with a much lower turnaround time on emails. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Would you want a much lower turnaround time with emails? Like you, I, I, I would imagine that retirement is the ability to say I'm done with emails. Oh, that was sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, zero, zero emails would work too. But you know, you want your emails to your to your collaborators, and uh, you know, you're, you're mailing your pamphlets around the world with your latest crazy idea. Um, and by the way, of course, you know, I said sixty as a as an interesting point. I don't know what age one retires, but uh, yeah, I've got a, you know. I've got one or two projects that I'd really like to see done. And I'm sure after those, there'll be more. And then when they're all done, you know, there'll probably be more. Do you generally think about the future on a five to 10 year horizon? It's funny because that's, it's funny because that's such a risky, you know, five to 10 years means I don't know, right? You know, it's like the keyword for, I don't know. Um, so one thing I love about, um, you know, so, so the big projects that I've been involved in or close to, you know, body tracking for Connect. Um, uh, here's one that I was totally not involved in, but I just think is amazing, which is the head tracking for HoloLens. Um, and for both of those, if you'd asked us, I mean, for Connect, they literally did ask, you know, um, people like me at Microsoft, how long before we can have the body tracking? And I would say five to 10 years. Um, both of those suddenly flipped from not done, you know, from five to 10 years to just done really fast, you know, two years, three years or something. So um, I definitely, I, I, I tend to think of things I'm pretty sure we could build, right? Which may seem super near term, um, but, um, it, it turns out I've learned that it might take five years to build them, right? And you know, many more if you if you you know if you tried to build them on your own, you would take you know an infinity time. Um, pardon me, but what I what I'm getting at is, um, you have to at some stage actually start trying to close it down, trying to build the thing, and that's the point where five to ten years suddenly becomes five years, which may be three, uh, but you have to stop. And you know, it's not saying the community should not do what the community does, right? Think of ideas, think of benchmarks, follow benchmarks. But at some point, you grab that information and just make it work. And uh, on a closer time horizon, um, what, what's your concrete prediction? When do you think the world will open back up post COVID? Oh gosh. Um, so, um, a new variant is obviously, to me, the the um, the only um, sort of interesting question here. So Chile is uh, 50% vaccinated or something. Chile is pretty vaccinated now, hmm. um, and uh, they've got a big spike coming in. Um, remember, raw R, you know, in Britain was like three or something mm -hmm. or whatever it was. Um, a 70% effective vaccination takes your raw R to around one. That's not a good number. 
right? You want to be around 0.5 or something. Yeah. You know, so there's less, a real significant less than one. Yeah, exactly. Because near one is just is 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 too risky. Um, so any new variant, you know, that's bang. So we have to do another vaccine development, another rollout of vaccines, and that's just going to make us give us another year, pretty much exactly the same. If new variant um, catches off, uh, takes off, um, we don't know about winter summer really yet. Um, I'm pretty convinced we know about children now. I think children are the same as vaccinated adults, right? Yeah. They're essentially, you know, um, um, you were back to about. I was I was talking earlier about human confidence and uh, maybe here's so wrong with high confidence right well i think we had a kind of perfect example right we had two vaccines in um four months ago oxford astrazeneca and uh, pfizer and their rcts right the highest known standard blah 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 reported 70 percent for oxford um 90 for pfizer Okay, so those are the numbers that we're going to use to decide whether this is a worth rolling out. And seventy percent is just about worth rolling out. So, and yeah, it's the only story we have. So let's do it. Seems quite clear now that the correct number is more like ninety-five percent for both. Well, right. uh, efficacy, so real-world <laughs> efficacy, you know. And now, now it's ninety percent, ninety-five percent of what? What do you mean, you know? Yeah. Um, but the point is, we were we were told two numbers, seventy and ninety, and now it looks like whatever the true number is, it's kind of the same for both. Hmm. So I, I had not one of those a, was wrong. I, I had not seen a study on AstraZeneca that actually pointed to much higher efficacy. I'll follow up with you afterwards. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I may be wrong, but that's what I'm getting from the you know sort of. Um, uh, now the the numbers I'm talking about are reductions in hospitalizations, mm -hmm. you know, in the UK, say, um, or in any of the countries where there are large rollouts. So suddenly our RCT with 30,000, 40,000 people is, is irrelevant, right? And yeah. now what's relevant is the uh, 20 million people not coming into hospital. Um, yeah, so we may need to follow up more on that, but I still think there were two numbers, 70 and 90, at the end, you know, last, at the end of last summer. Um, mm -hmm. and those numbers seem to be closer than they were, than they were then. And, and my point is just that we were using the best possible techniques then and yet we kind of fixated on the numbers um hmm. and of course you can go back to those studies and see look you know there was the dosage problem with az and there was hmm. the, you know there was a whole bunch of stuff that was kind of means that no one lied no one no one did a mistake no one made a mistake um i just don't think i don't think we understand enough people understand the underpinnings of p-values well enough you know the the Gaussian assumptions that are nearby, maybe not exactly there, but you know just general. Um, yeah. Yeah. But at this stage, I'm talking about something I'm not really qualified to talk about. So you know, um, but you did ask me about COVID. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you had to make a prediction about the world opening back up. Yeah, I would just say you know it's like you know make a plan, it might change. So um, you know this summer will be good Northern Hemisphere, I assume. Um, just because it was pretty good last summer and, you know, now we have vaccine. Um, hmm. uh, but I just think odd things may still happen. So um, what do I do? I still book non-refundable holidays for, you know, six months, or sorry, refundable holidays for, you know, uh, six months in the future and keep rolling that. Do you think there's a, there's a point in life in our existence? Oh, no, you don't want to get me on that one. Um, because... Yeah, no, that's that's too tough. I, I my um, 
Um, yeah, no, the, the problem is that if you, th there's only one conclusion you're allowed to draw. Um, I mean, the closest I'll get to saying it is that um, we often talk about saving the planet, right? If humans stopped reproducing, then the planet would be in great shape. Um, so, you know, I don't believe in humans as anything particularly special and valuable. You know, I'm, I'm, I love humans, right? I, you know, I really, you know, I, I really enjoy being a human and hanging out with other humans. Some of my uh, best friends are humans. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, you know, um, you know, so you know i'm all for humans uh <laughs> but uh i i i think we think we're a bit fancier than we are <laughs> okay I'll, um what, what do you find meaning in um you know when my brain is happy that's that's good right it might be happy programming or it might be happy you know skiing or um you know um solving problems you know you know talking nonsense with other humans in the pub you know um uh, yeah uh, yeah and uh what is some of the best advice that you've gotten or given oh gosh um best best advice oh i've got great ones and now i can't remember them um Ah, uh, maybe it'll come back to me. I, I know I have good answers to that. Um, yeah, the only one that jumps to mind is, you know, it'll be fine. <laughs> uh, coming back to the to the absolutely positive end of the human spectrum, right? Like you're you're generally happy, and so it makes sense that the advice that you give is it'll be fine. Like the, looking at yeah. the positive side of things. Yeah, yeah, it's that is that is one. It's oh yeah, yeah. I think I think some variants of 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 what I said earlier about if you don't get a job, assume somebody better got it. Don't assume that somehow, you know, hmm. either you know that that someone someone was against you or. I think just assume the actually here. Okay, here here is the thing I do actually say all the time, which is, um, um, you know, hope for the best, plan for the worst. You know, assume things will be fine. Just know what you're going to do if they're not. Um, by the way, I, I really liked your uh, your insight of um, zero sumness can if you trust the system, zero sumness can mean that the right decision was made that you that you that someone else was actually much more deserving. And that's that's an interesting mindset and it can give you a certain sense of peace and solace. Exactly. Exactly. It may be wrong. You know, mm -hmm. you may be it may I you know, I may have been a better person for that for that job, but I don't think a terrible mistake was made, you know, or you know, that time our paper was rejected, you know, um it's not a terrible, terrible mistake. It hurts and you know, people said things that you think but I mean back to papers, right? If the reviewers didn't understand what you were trying to do honestly it's 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 the author's you know the author's responsibility to excite engage the reader and you might say well 
this reviewer is willfully not being engaged by my, you know, but it's like, you know, if I tell you a hilarious joke and you don't find it funny, then, you know, I should tell you a better joke um, or I should, you know, find, find some friends who do like my terrible jokes. Uh, I'm sorry, back. I can't remember any puns. <laughs> and uh, coming back to the, the thing that we talked about, don't, don't blame the player, blame, blame the game. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And um, and then you know, if you can change the game, of course, that's great. You know, if you can think of it. Um, so why did you agree to do this interview with me? Oh, that's interesting. Um, um, I, I I I love you know seeing the personalities of of you know um, the people we work with, and you know. Um, you know, in-person conferences or a time when you meet people, but you don't get, you know, you get much more detail from here um, of what the people are like. And um, so that was that. Um, yeah, and I guess I also, I, w I was sort of interested to see what my answers would be. <laughs> you know, I'll play this back and think, oh, really, do I think that? <laughs> and that's an interesting one. You're, you're almost doing this for your future self <laughs> that you can look back and... Yeah, let's yeah, let's see. I'll probably be terribly embarrassed, as I mentioned earlier. You know, <laughs> saying stupid stuff. So yeah, uh, and those were all the questions I had for you. Um, is there anything else that we that you'd like to talk about about an aspect of your life that we didn't cover that you think we should mention? I I uh, I, I don't think so. Um, um, yeah, we kept you know fabulously clear of vision you know computer vision topics or i mean well look, yeah aside from ranting on about uh, optimization and so on but yeah no i think um this was just it, it's fun to um i mean huge honor to be asked <laughs> thank you um no thank um, you for doing this yeah fun to see what you know the next the, the, you know i've seen what the uh, a lot of the earlier people have said so you know let's roll it on all right. Uh, we will look forward to, if you think of a pun offline, uh, do, do let us know. An I'll send you an email <laughs> and you can die. You know. And I'll link it in. Uh, thank you again for doing this, Andrew. I'm thank you, Drew. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye.